I want to get straight into the Word this morning. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, that would be useful because I don't think our screen is doing what it's supposed to be doing. So you're going to have to uh, walk with me this morning because it's working. Oh, look, first miracle of the day. Awesome. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it says, You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Uh Uh-oh. Carelessly, call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Welcome, everybody. What a fun time we're going to have today. Now, if we were going to be super practical this morning and take this seriously, and literally, then I'd probably be preaching to a significantly smaller congregation. Because the rest of us would have run out the door going, this is not for me, I'm in big trouble, me included. And the other little alert that God reminded me this week is that when we come and gather together as a body, any one of us that graces this platform is no better than anybody else. We can just sometimes string a sentence together better. But we all have faults and we all are still a work in progress. So if you sit there and you ever feel condemned this morning or you feel like, oh, that's not from me. I'm not here this morning to condemn you. I'm here to love you and to help you understand that Jesus loves you. And the reason that he died on the cross for you was so you can live a free life unencumbered with stuff. What we're going to talk about this morning really can tie you up in knots. And it's one of the best ways that the enemy takes us out, I believe. Because sometimes we can be embarrassed of it, we're ashamed of it, we feel guilty because of it. All the top things that he loves to play in, this sits right there. And so this morning, please don't get condemned. The Holy Spirit may convict you of something, and that's okay because he loves you and he just wants it. He just wants to take that thing. So don't start counting the bricks on the wall or thinking about lunch or check out just because you're a bit irritated by me, okay? Because you see, I think when Jesus was talking to his disciples at this point, he was trying to get them to understand that he's more concerned with the condition of their heart than about them being perfect. He'd hung out with them for a while now, so he knew that they weren't perfect. He knew that they weren't necessarily going to do things well all the time. If we skip back to verse 17... It says in there that Jesus had come to fulfill the law. I don't know if we can skip back up to that one, Gabs. But it talks about the fact that he came to fulfill the law. And it says it really beautifully. So hang on a second. Ready? 17. Maybe it's going to be loud. Maybe I'll just read it from here. It says in verse 17. No, that's not the one I want. Here you go. If you think I've come to set aside the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, you're mistaken. I've come to fulfill and bring to perfection all that has been written. So Jesus wasn't here to tell them how to be perfect. He was here to tell them that he was bringing the perfection. It was his doing, not our doing. So what does it mean by that? What does it mean for Jesus to fulfill the Old Testament? Well, it means that he's here to talk about him filling out the fullness of God's work. It's him helping us understand that in light of the new covenant that we're under, because we're not under the Old Testament covenant, we're under the New Testament covenant after the cross. 
So because of that, we have grace and we have freedom and we have forgiveness, which is something that people weren't living with at that point. In verse 21, he shifts gear. He says, you know, like, I know from an older generation, so he's reminding them to look back. I know you've heard these things. I know this is the way it was. But then he goes, but let me tell you. So here's Jesus reminding them that he's fulfilling the Old Testament, but also bringing something new. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what I know. He's speaking to them in light of what they know, but he's now speaking from a place of authority. He's scandalous. You know, all through the Sermon on the Mount, he's been stirring them up and he's continuing to do it. So the question to ask ourselves today is not what do we need to do about this? Because clearly, none of us set out to murder, right? I don't know everyone here this morning. If you are planning on murder, please don't. But what he's saying is that an unchecked emotion like anger can lead to murder. Anger unchecked is just a sign that there's something else going on with us. And we're emotional beings, right? So you think about it. Do you get angry because you didn't get invited to a party? What's really going on? You're not angry because you didn't get invited to the party. You're angry because you're probably lonely. You might be angry because you feel left out. There's something else dealing underneath the surface that's also adding the anger on top of it. What about comparison? The Bible says that comparison steals our joy. Comparison is just another judgment. Because you can't tell me that when I'm comparing myself to you that I'm not judging you. Because I am. So we just say, oh, you know, it's not good to compare with each other. Well, actually, it's not good because you're judging someone. And Pastor Ryan told us last week, if you go down that road, where you'll end up. It also tells me when I think about anger that sometimes I'm really angry about something ridiculous. Something that doesn't deserve that much anger. But it's just like the tipping point. I know none of you have tipping points. But you know yourself, when you just freak out over something that's not really freak outable. <coughs> and at the time you don't care because it just has to come out. So it comes out at whoever's nearby. And Riley would testify this morning that this happens in our house on a semi-regular basis. <laughs> so I get frustrated by something and I'm just like, man, and I'll have a moment, particularly as a mum. All the mums in the room know how many times do I have to put you to put your bowl in the dishwasher. It's a simple process. Eat the food that I've prepared and then just rinse it, pop it in the dishwasher. Just in the dishwasher. I've been known to hold little, like, teaching sessions in our kitchen with children stood there terrified while I'm going, just rinse it off and put it in the dishwasher. Like, some crazy person. Now, is it really about the dishwasher? No. It's probably about 10 million other things that are going on in my mind that my kids don't even know are there. And all of us are the same. We all have a tipping point where we've been brewing on stuff, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're disappointed, and it comes out as an angry outburst somewhere. None of us are prone to not having this happen. And if you are, that's good for you. <coughs> it says that words kill. You know, words can seriously damage someone's heart. And sometimes we're throwing them out like barbs. And I grew up in a very angry household. My dad had a really big temper. And he could go from naught to 100 in no time. And he had the quickest wit and sarcasm, which I have been given a little of. And, 
He seriously could just take you out so quickly. It was like throwing knives in our house, but they were words. And it's dangerous. And it's something that I continually have to go back and put myself back on the altar and submit myself. I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys this morning. Is that okay? Because it might help somebody. But I have to go back to Jesus all the time and be like, oh, that was really bad. Why did that happen? And just continually let him work on my heart. Because it's been something that I've seen demonstrated poorly. And what we do, our kids are watching. And so I have do-overs with our kids. I'm going to go, Mark, sorry about that, guys. Clearly I was a little bit off the handle back there. Don't think it's actually about that. Sorry. <laughs> and they're, they're getting less frequent, one would say. But I wouldn't say that I'm still perfect. You know, this is not just general anger that God's talking about this morning. He's not just saying... When you generally get anger, you're murdering people. Okay, he's not saying that because otherwise there wouldn't be any anger in the Bible. And there is anger in the Bible. Jesus gets righteously anger, angry. In Matthew 21, Jesus displays angry. He heads to the temple after he's arrived back into Jerusalem. And they've set up money changer tables and they're selling things and they're doing stuff in the temple that Jesus wasn't happy with. And he goes fully Jesus sick. He's flipping tables. He's, you know pushing the doves out of their cages. He is done with what they're up to. That's a righteous anger. And sometimes I think I've been stupid enough to believe that I can't be angry about anything, which then leaves us kind of passionless, doesn't it? Because righteous anger, when you're angry about something or you're angry about an injustice, that motivates you to do something that's healthy and as the church, I feel in these last days that we're living in, we are going to have to get righteously angry about some things. And we can't passively be like, oh, Jesus is coming. Just wait for Jesus. You are going to be called to take a stand. And the, the verse that says that we're aliens in this place, we are going to feel like aliens. And that's okay. As long as we're with each other and we understand that when there is a righteous cause for us to be angry about, Jesus will motivate us. The Holy Spirit inside of us will rise up and it will be an anger that is used for good. But Jesus is, like I said, he's not just cranky because Netflix has put their prices up again. It's not just cranky because season three of The Crown has taken nearly a year to come out. What is that? I'm not likely to neck anyone for that, but I do get frustrated by it. So what do we do with our anger? When our worlds are being bombarded with stuff, when things are coming against us and we lose it, what do we do with that? You know, you might be like me and you might be a little bit of a verbal processor. All the verbal processors raise your hands with confidence and pride. It's kind of easy to understand when we're angry. You might be more one of those silent types. You met those, you don't know they're angry, it's just there. You can feel it. It radiates out of their body. And then something happens and when they snap, that is dangerous. Like, you all know that Sean's a nice guy, right? I'll tell you what. <laughs> I don't think he's ever actually lost it, so I can't actually lie up here. But he has been righteously angry about some things in the past. And he doesn't get loud. He's not a yeller. He's not a shouter. But he'll just be like... I'm done with that. And then he's like all about action. He's just got to get whatever needs to be sorted, sorted. So you might be like that. <laughs> You're very good. Or you might be um, a little bit like Walter Mitty, where does everyone know Walter Mitty from this, you know, that Secret Life of Walter Mitty movie? If you haven't seen it, write it in your notes. Go home and watch it. Great movie. 
But he has these little zone out moments when he just kind of goes. And in his mind, he's gone into a whole nother realm and he's like totally going off doing something amazing or he's like telling his boss off or whatever. And then he kind of snaps back into life again. You might be like that. None of these things are necessarily helpful. There are all ways that we cope with anger. But what do we do with our anger? We'll talk about that in a bit. In verse 22, Jesus is talking to us about when we insult a brother or sister that we're liable to be judged. The example in one of the um, versions that I read that there's a word called raka, which is an Aramaic word meaning empty. So something that we might say to someone is, you blockhead, or you're good for nothing. That's what we might say. When they say raka, that's what it means. But that's coming out of an angry heart, and that heart has an intent behind it. So when our anger's coming, there's something deeper going on inside of our heart. There's something deeper that needs attention. Proverbs chapter 19, let's flip over there. I told you we're going to have a little wander through the Bible this morning. Did I tell you that earlier? Because it's good. The Bible's good. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. Smart people know how to hold their tongue. Their grandeur is to forgive and forget. Everybody nod and go, oh, amen. Yes. Harder to do than read, isn't it? A lot of this stuff that I've read for this message in preparation was easy to read but harder to do. And I've started to understand that the Holy Spirit so just wants to mould us. He wants to be so near to us that he can help us hold our tongue. I want everyone to try and hold their tongue right now. Just try and hold it with your fingers. It's a little bit hard. Some of you aren't even trying. You're like, this girl's nuts. I've been certified once or twice, but that's for later. Now, hold your tongue. You can't really talk when your tongue's held, can you? That's the point. Hold your tongue doesn't just mean be quiet. It means physically render yourself unable to say anything. And some of us this morning need to work that out. Some of us, instead of arguing and firing back and ready to explode, just need to go. And let the emotion simmer down. Because when I'm at boiling point... Sometimes I hear this little voice go, don't do it. Shh. I hear that a lot. Just in my ear. Shh. And then they're like, eh. And every time I do it, I'm thankful. Because when I listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting to be quiet, it's because he's trying to protect me from causing damage. Words out are out. They're out. They're done. They're knives that are thrown. The injuries happen. And even though we can repent and we can apologize and we can ask for forgiveness, I know that words burn scars. And sometimes that takes a long time for those scars to heal. Or, and, and you know what a scar's like, it's there forever. So even though we can forgive, it'll only take a trigger of someone else saying something similar to that and you're right back where you started. So just be very careful with our tongues. We're going to go to Proverbs, just skip back Proverbs chapter 4. And verse 23, Proverbs is bringing the goods. It says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies and gossip. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. 
Our world's full of sideshows, isn't it? There's a lot going on to distract us, but we've got to be vigilant about guarding our hearts, particularly where anger's concerned. Back to our passage, and we're going to have a look at verse 23 and 24. This was a killer for me. <laughs> it says, so then, verse 23 or 24, is it, uh, we're back in Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 24, Gabs, if it's available for the screen's enjoyment. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge your friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Wow. Wow. I probably would have had to go a number of times if that was the case on a Sunday morning if we were going to get super practical, because I've been guilty of coming into church and trying to worship my way through my anger or worship my way through my situation. And I'm not quite ready to give it up yet because you know that the minute you surrender and give it over to Jesus, the burden's lifted and he can actually start to heal your heart. But I like to just be angry for a little bit longer sometimes. So I have been known completely truthfully, I'm going to tell you the truth, right? I have been known to come into this place angry, praying for the other person that they get a revelation and that perhaps when they come to the altar, they will leave their offering and come and make it right with me because that's what should happen. I don't have to leave my offering. I've got a right to be angry. But what did it say back further up in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. We've got to be the ones that make peace even when we don't want to make peace. Even when it hurts, we have to make peace. Even when it feels unjust, we have to make peace. It doesn't matter if the other person doesn't forgive you. Because they won't always. Sometimes they'll look at you like, mm, stuff you. That's okay. Leave it to Jesus to sort it out. Because anger and bitterness and resentment left unchecked in your heart will get down into your gut and make you sick. It'll make your whole filter and lens of life be messed up. We can't afford to let it happen. So we learn from this that God wants us to present clean hearts before him and clean consciences before him. These verses to me say that God's more about reconciliation with each other than he is about our worship to him. What? I lived most of my life thinking if I just keep on worshipping you, Jesus, everything's fine. I live under your grace and your forgiveness. But this is telling me now that I need to put my relationships with other people ahead of my worship for him. That's a game changer, people. It's a game changer. Being able to see the world around us and having our spirits settled and our minds right in alignment with how much God loves his people and how much we love them is all connected. Our hearts and minds aligned with God allow us to see others without judgment. If we're left to our own ideas, we'd probably only care for what made us feel good. Nobody likes doing things that don't make you feel good. But when we discover who we really are and our true identity in Christ, then we want to live differently. The fruits of the spirits in Galatians chapter 5 start to come out of us naturally. Love, joy, patience, patience. I've just messed all of that up, but you know, patience, patience, whatever. 
Galatians 5.22, read it for yourselves. But all of those great things start to be the overflow of our heart, not all of the yuck things. So it's not about trying to do more. It's not about trying to push the holier-than-thou barrow up the hill further. Dump the barrow. Stop trying to appear holy. Just be in God's presence and watch him from the inside out transform you. You can't do it. It's a newsflash. Some of you look like you know this already. Again, good for you. I've been hanging around church most of my life. And this is something that I still get wrong. I still think it's my doing. It's not my doing. I can't make myself holier. No matter how much Bethel I listen to, I cannot become holier from the outside on. It's got to be from the inside out. John chapter 4. Verse 23 to 24. I'm trying, my friend, I'm trying. Just getting started. Matthew 4, 23, 24. In the message it says, It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Our true selves means our true selves has to be healthy. That's why we have to be prepared to come before God and go, oh, I've got this grievance, God. I really need to get this sorted out. And then I'm going to give this to you. Simply and honestly be yourself. God sent his only son, Jesus, to reconcile us to himself. Jesus came so that we could have real life and so that we could be life givers. He doesn't have any time for people that look good on the outside but have got nothing going on on the inside. In fact, he gets really cranky about it. One of Jesus' best sprays, one of my most favourite sprays that he has, is against the Pharisees in Matthew 23. If you want to flip across to there, just so you know how he feels about this. Matthew 23, I'm going to read it again from the message. Verse 1 to 3, he says, Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them. And he said, The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behaviour. It's all spit and polished veneer. Them's some fighting words, aren't they? He's not mincing words there. If we skip down a bit further to verse 12, he was just getting, giving us a little bit more encouragement. He says, do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you pump yourself up, you'll get the wing knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. It'll count for plenty. We need to stop looking for ways to make our life count. All we need to do is live our lives, simply be ourselves, sit at God's feet and allow him to direct us and it'll count for plenty, way more than we could ever strive or connive. Okay, now this is the spray part, all right? Verse 27. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds! You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. 
Wow. It's pretty raw. Jesus is letting us know that religious activity is not the way to God's heart. Pure, surrendered, faith-filled hearts is what he desires from us. Not perfection, not holier than thou, not more pious, but honestly standing before him in love. Love for one another. That's what we have to do. We have to love one another. So I don't know what part of your heart you need to have attended to, and it might be none. But can I tell you that out of your heart springs so many things. And if there's anger and resentment in there that needs attention, please don't bury it. Don't push it down. Don't try and ignore it. It needs attention. You see, we all want to measure ourselves against someone or something. We want to compare ourselves with someone else and feel better about ourselves. (laughs) But that really depends a lot on who you're following, doesn't it? We follow a lot of things in our days without even thinking. We allow a lot of access into our hearts without even thinking. We scroll mindlessly, well, I do anyway, past stuff, just letting things impact my heart every single day. And I think we need to be careful. I love social media, as those of you that know me know. I love it. But I've had to ask myself lately, do I feel better before or after I scroll? Do I feel better about myself? Do I feel worse about myself? Are there some things or some people that I need to follow? Because some people's CV that they've got out there on social media would cause me to feel bad, but it's a CV. It's like, you know, they're promoting for whatever they're trying to do. It's not necessarily their real life. And I so believe that we have the opportunity to be light in the darkness, but just please think about what you let have access to your heart accidentally. Because I don't think the enemy comes in with a pitchfork and ears going, I'm going to take you out. He doesn't announce himself like that. He comes in sneakily. And one of the biggest things he does is he finds a doorway that he can get in with us. And then he just keeps coming in and out and in and out as he pleases. And for me, I have some things in my world that I deserve to be angry about. There's some things that I have every right to be a bit riled up about. But you know what I have to do with them? I have to surrender them to Jesus. I have to go back because his judgment is all that's needed in this situation, nobody else's. And it's not doing me any good to hang on to those things. It's actually made me unwell. So now I'm in a place where I have to surrender back constantly to Jesus. So you take this one. This is too big. Because the warning sign for me is that I get frustrated and I get angry And I know, okay, he's come in that door again. How did that happen? So I've had to shore up my heart in the last few months. And I'm sure I'll get to tell you more of the funny parts of the story at some point. But I've had to shore up my heart around this situation and make sure that the only person that can talk to me about this is Jesus. I don't want the enemy and any of his cronies having any access. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. If there's a point of access where you continually get tormented where something just keeps coming up for you, please let the, the God that loves you deal with it. Let him have it. Don't try and hide it away because it won't do you any good. What I've learned is I'm a lot happier in my life when I focus my attention on who's sitting at my own table, my literal table at home, when I focus on my family and who's there with me and I don't get so concerned with what's going on outside the walls. 
There's no mistake here that Jesus is encouraging us to get rid of anger so that we can love better. Because you can't love super well from an angry heart. I just want to skip down to verse 43 in the message. I'll just find it. I've ended up in Habakkuk, which is not going to be helpful. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 47 says this. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. Then down to verse 48, it says, In a world, in a word, not in the world, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives toward you. Growing up means dealing with our issues. Everybody clap your hands and say, hands and say, hurrah, hurrah for dealing with issues. Yay. Oh, what a wonderful word she brings this morning. Top of the morning. I don't know why I decided to develop an accent then, but I did. But we think, hurrah, let's deal with our issues. Do you know what? If we don't start to face up to some of the things that hold us captive, we can never live the free life that Jesus died for. And I think it breaks his heart when he wants us free, but we just continually want to hold on to something. We've got to be prepared to let it go. So I don't know where you're at, but I remember sitting in a conference a long time ago and Joyce Meyer was preaching about if you have an enemy, buy them a gift. And I was like, that's hilarious. And she just talked about how every time she was angry or frustrated with somebody, she had to go and buy them a gift. So the people were just receiving the gifts. It wasn't like she's turning up with the gift and going, I'm giving you this because I'm cranky. Like, she had to turn up with a good heart and be like, bless you. And she said it was happening so often. Like, her husband was like, what are all these charges for? And she's like, I'm dealing with my issues. <laughs> and that was how God spoke to her, that she had to gift her way out of this funky place that she was in. And I thought that was hilarious until about eight years later, and he reminded me of it because I was cranky with somebody. And he was like, buy her a gift. And I was like, say what? But buy her a gift. I don't want to buy her a gift. I'd like to give her something, but it's not gift related. And so I decided I would buy wine because that's nice. And I knew that she liked wine. And so I went to the bottle shop. And this was another news flash for me that the Holy Spirit hangs out in the bottle shop. Because I was there and I went for like the $15 bottle of wine. He went, no, 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 not that one. Get the good one. I'm like, what? So I went to the next like $25 kind of bottle of wine. And he's like, no, 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 no. Get the good one. So I bought like this $45 bottle of wine and then a wine bag and I wrote a little card. And I was like, please, Lord, don't let her be at home because it's going to be awkward. But she was. And so I arrived on the doorstep quite unannounced with my expensive bottle of wine. And the worst thing about good wine is it doesn't have a price tag on it. 
So you really want to say, it's good wine. Don't drink it second, drink it first. Like, this is a first fruits wine. But it doesn't have that. So I gave the wine. We had this awkward conversation because I hadn't seen her for months. And it was just like, hi, I'm here. Way for you. Here's your wine. And then I left. And what happened on the way home is that I cried. And the Holy Spirit just went, that one. And he took out a barb that had been buried. Time and time again, the Holy Spirit will touch you on the shoulder because there's a barb that he wants to take out of you. But it's your choice whether you turn around towards him and let him take the barb or whether you turn your back to him and keep it. It's your choice. So I don't know where you're at this morning and maybe I'm the only person that struggles with this and you can go home and think, gee, I'm so glad Mel's dealing with her issues. Or maybe you do have something that you've got buried inside that you're angry about. When I was preparing for this, I felt the word betrayal very strongly. I felt that there was maybe someone who's felt a deep betrayal, a breaking of your heart, a loss of relationship. And the idea of reconciliation is not even something that you would consider. But today, if you take the first step of handing that pain over, to God, He can start to work and start to heal your heart. Because once He begins, He's faithful, isn't He? To complete something. The relationship may not look like it was beforehand, but if you smash a vase, you can't glue it back together exactly the same. And sometimes relationships that get broken don't go back together the same. But I believe that God can bring a holy reconciliation and restoration that is right. And so that's what I believe. This morning, I'm going to ask if I can pray for you. And if there's something in your heart this morning that is a pain, I just want you to take a moment with the Lord. This is a super private moment. I'm not going to ask you to respond or do anything. I just want to ask you to be honest with God. Let's not be whitewashed tombs. Let's not be people that look good on the outside but are dying on the inside. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to get in and take out what needs to come out and replace it with His love and His joy and His peace and His kindness. So Father, this morning as we sit in this building, I pray, Holy Spirit, that You'll come. Father God, tend to Your children. God, look at our hearts. See if there's anything there that needs Your attention, God. If there's anything that needs your attention this morning, Father, I pray that we will be relaxed enough to trust you and to believe that you can heal us. Father God, we believe that the same spirit that conquered death, hell and the grave is the same spirit that can heal and bring reconciliation and restoration. So right now this morning, God, we offer ourselves to you.